to what it is the edutainment podcast where each week a panel of three present the topic that they have deep dive researched into that they have found a lot about they present it to each other and we get to judge who the winner is who is the most interesting the bestest the funniest the most entertaining my name's ellie main i'm a content creator here in austin texas but obviously not from here from london and uh joining me today as always it's Chelsea Hoffbush. How are you? I'm from space. I'm from New Orleans, if it matters. I'm a podcast producer and content creator here in Austin as well. Mm-hmm. And we have a very fun guest. A very today. special guest. Hello, I'm Connor Shea. Uh... I'm from Austin, but, you know, I don't want to make a big deal out of it. Oh, you're an actual local. But six, people, we from are Austin, people from Austin never want to make a big deal out of it. No, so. we're super chill about it. So, Connor, you are an artist and an illustrator in town, correct? Uh, yes, I am a cartoonist as well. So let me just explain how this works a little bit. Um, Please. I know that you know, but it's always fun to explain. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of well job you know. I love, <laughs> I love rules. I love rules as well. You, you two really, really could probably riff on rules. So <clears throat> we each take it in turn to present to each other the topic that we have researched deep down. I've learned a lot about if we didn't already know because we kind of feel like everyone has that one topic that you want someone to bring up at a party to be like oh I know so much about that let me tell you mm-hmm. especially if you like trap someone in the bathroom line I think is yes. like a great opportunity oh, yeah. it's like unloaded on there they don't like it yeah but they but they need to pee what right. are they gonna do piss outside like right. an animal exactly no. they have to learn the things yeah. that you know uh, but before we do that we award points for that, and there is a winner. But before we do that, uh, we like to play a little game. We each share the title of our topic, and uh, we have a little guess at what that might be. So, who would like to go first? Hmm. Well, you are the only boy in the room. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, several thousand years of human history dictates that you might want to go first. Is that true? <laughs> I've heard something. I, like I don't know. I might have experienced some of that a little bit in my professional life. Okay. I've never really noticed any differences between, like, the way society, like, encourages yeah. men or women to act. But sure, if you sure, say sure. so, sure, sure. I'll, like, yeah. roll with it's it. It's never really become apparent to me. But... Yeah. Yeah. I've never experienced it thus. Might be fake, but. Okay. So just the, the title of my topic. Just the title. What's the title? Okay. Uh, the title of my topic is uh, The Wayne Brady Problem. The Wayne Brady is it just about Wayne Brady being a problem? No. <laughs> I'm sure you're just like, yes, that's it. Yes. You're like, yes. I really hate Wayne Brady. I thought this was the right time. When you guys said pun, I thought you meant just give it a title. <laughs> the Wayne Brady problem. Should I talk about Wayne Brady? No, I got no. That guy's we're in, guessing. He's oh, okay. in Rent. He was in Rent? I think, no. Was he Collins? Who did he play? Tell me right now. The guy that sings I'll Cover You. So Collins. Yes. Thank you. Okay, is it about... It is not about rent. Okay. Is it that you wish... Uh, whose line is it anyway? It hadn't been cancelled? It got cancelled? I don't know. Is that show still on? I don't want to watch it. I just like to think that it's still on somewhere. Like, that's yeah. comforting to me. That's important. <laughs> that there's reruns happening somewhere <laughs> out there. Yeah. I'm at a complete loss on you. This is a first... No, well, I just came up with several riffs. This might be our first ever stump. Oh, just like no, no guess already, whatsoever? I brought up rent. Oh yeah, Come she on now. You mean you googled? Rent. I made. It, I was like, oh yeah, he was in Rent. Um, so like a paradox. It is a paradox, actually. <laughs> you guys are well, just... for each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the audience didn't know that we were dating. Well, they do now. I'm stressed. Okay, I'm going next. Mm-hmm. My title is Body Shop. Oh, okay. Uh, is it where you can buy a body? No. 
Is it related to cars? Yeah. Is it related to murder? Yes. Yes. I'm on a fucking fire today. Yeah, wow. I may have oh, forgotten oh, that oh, the body oh, shop oh, is in the oh. store here. Is it the University of Tennessee where they have all those body parts and they're underneath the thing? No, uh, the body farm? Yeah. No, that's actually also one in San Antonio. Very oh, close. nice. Cool. Body farms are cool and I do want to do a whole topic about what happens when you actually donate your body to science, but it is not that. Okay, so it's about murder, mm-hmm. but... Well, tangentially. About bodies. Oh, is it about where you get bodies for movies that are about murder and you need like a fake bot now? Okay. Shit. Alright. God, okay. My topic is called Science for Hire. Science for Hire. Hmm. Is it about political corruption? In a way, but also it isn't everything. Well, yes. Oh. I mean, specifically Damn. buying a scientific result. Kind of. Ooh. Yeah, pretty close. Is it about getting, like, a magician for a kid's party, but, like, an educational <laughs> one who, like, but, explains like, psych, how... it's a teacher. Yeah. Oh, that was the fucking worst. Like, when you were, like, in elementary school and they were like, guess what, kids? We have, like, a special guest. And you thought it was just going to be, like, a bunch of bullshit that you could yeah. tune out. And then they were like, actually, this is, like, about your science project. So. Yeah, my whole thought was just, like, you know, how they, like, they say that pizza is a vegetable and there's got to be bought, people bought in that process. I mean, so you're definitely right about that. And you are you are on the right path. Okay. But let's keep it. We'll yeah. keep it where it is. Okay. Sounds good. Okay. So I think I'm going to go first. You should go first. Let me go first. Body shop. Body I have a little shop. story to tell. Like in a little song. Lin-Manuel Miranda just burst into song. That would be amazing. But no. Body shop. So. Body shop of knowledge. April the 16th, 1788. Your stories always take place so far in the past. That's her history. We are outside of the New York Hospital of Manhattan. Four boys are playing outside, and as the story goes, the children saw a physician in training through the window and waved to him, and he waved back, but with a cadaver's severed arm. Oh, that's, that's just doctor's humor right there. Yeah, that's fine. According to a version of these events, which was printed in 1873, so quite a while after, the mother of one of those boys had just died, just passed away, and the doctor allegedly teased the boy, saying that it was his mom's arm, which, which, with which he had waved to him. Just so hard. The boy said to his dad, uh, told his dad what had happened, and the dad was like, that's not now. That's crazy. That didn't happen. So he went to check on her fresh grave and was just met with the sight of raw soil. His wife's coffin was open to the air and completely empty. Turns out, like one of many at the time, robbers had been paid by medical students to remove the body and take it to the hospital for dissection. Sweet. So on that day in April 1978, a city-wide riot broke out. Because of this or unrelated? Because of this. Ooh. In fact, Columbia College alumnus at the time, Alexander Hamilton, <gasps> was forced to try to hold back a mob from the university's front door. Uh, the mob went from room to room of this university, dragging doctors out into the street and beating them, destroying any stolen corpses that they found inside, which was a lot. They didn't uh, want to put them back? Was it destroying them? They, I guess they buried them or burned them. They... They destroyed 
They They disposed in a way they deemed fit. Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, you know, it is still 1788. Okay. (laughs) Who really wants to, like, drag a corpse, like, Right. They are heavy. They're miffed. They're pretty miffed. Um, They moved across the city chanting, bring out your doctors. Nice. Until the governor ordered the militia to stop them by force. And the following year, New York passed the 1789 Anatomy Act, making grave robbing illegal for the first time. Wait a minute. Grave robbing was not illegal before that? No, it was not. Few sciences are as rooted in shame, infamy, and bad PR as human anatomy. (laughs) It makes sense. It's not great. Well, there's a lot of weird stuff in there. There's a lot of weird stuff in there, but it's kind of, it's not a logical leap in any way that we need bodies for medical advancement. The best way to do that is to dissect a body. For instance, practices like bloodletting were so alive and well in the 18th century in the US that they killed President George Washington. I didn't know that. At age 67, the first president died of a throat infection after having been drained of nearly four liters of blood. It's too many. 80% of the average amount of blood in a healthy adults. All right, in peace, George. I do love to reference ancient Egypt. Sure do. And we head back there right now. The troubles (laughs) began in Alexandrian Egypt. So, only about 300 BC. King Ptolemy I was the first leader to deem it A-OK for medical types to cut open the dead and for the purpose of figuring out how bodies work. He was the first one since You've 300 BC. This particular incident also had to do with this king's personal fascination with dissection. Like so, he got in there himself and yeah, he liked to kind of root yes. around. In the... So not only did he issue a royal decree encouraging physicians to dissect executed criminals, but he was often there also with his own knives in a smock probing the bodies. That's a real red flag. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a red flag for sure. Okay, but so there are these like ancient times where this was happening, but obviously kind of this whole thing really found its stride during the birth of modern medicine, like modern, modern medicine, so the birth of medicine, uh, sort of in the 18th, 19th century Britain, where private anatomy schools for medical students began to flourish in specifically in England and Scotland. But while the number of those schools grew, the numbers of dead people stayed the same. Uh, And so the anatomists faced a chronic shortage of material. To, to figure out because I think up until then only executed murderers could be dissected. Were eligible? Yeah. Uh, and obviously back then no one donated their body to science. Before that it was religious hysteria. The church going masses believed in a literal corporal rising from the grave. Yeah. And so dissection was sort of pretty much spoiling your chances of going to heaven. It's like still pretty much the ancient Egyptian idea that you have to be physically like your physical body has to be able to enter the spiritual realm. We still believe that in 18th and 19th century Britain. Okay. From the 16th century up until the Anatomy Act, which we will talk about in a a minute, the only cadavers legally available for dissection were those of executed murderers. Grave digging, grave robbing wasn't a thing that had (laughs) had to be thought of by law until they were like, this is probably a bit fucked up and people are getting a bit pissed about it, to be honest. <laughs> okay, I guess that makes sense. Like, you don't need to make a law about something if you don't right. see it right. happening. happening. If you don't see it happening, a bunch of people are like, hey. if it's like such anathema culturally. And they're like, you just dug up my mum and you're like, oh, are you, are you pissed about it? <laughs> Fine, we'll make it a law. But even in the sort of slightly more fucked up kind of way here, some anatomy instructors mind the timeless affinity of university students for late night pranks by encouraging their enrollees to raid graveyards and provide bodies for class 
And at certain Scottish schools in the 1700s, an arrangement was much more formal. You could pay your tuition in corpses. What? Oh, oh that pay, does make sense. You could pay your tuition to anatomy school by providing corpses for dissection. Again, that's a screenplay. <laughs> it's like, how do so we get enough corpses to go to medical school? Um, these people who, like, gangs of people who ended, like, who started doing this were called resurrectionists. One gang of six or seven resurrectionists dug up 312 bodies. The pay worked out to about $1,000 a year. Some five to ten times the earning of the average unskilled laborer. I was going to say, that sounds like a lot for back then. With summers mm-hmm. off. I mean, it sounds like pretty good for right now. Guys, yeah. should we? So yeah. even in the United States, for example, a body could fetch between five and $25 in an, in an era where like someone who was paid really well would like earn 20 bucks a week. Like, I Real quick, quit my... don't think, just answer how much do you think that your body would have get fetched? Go. Me? Oh. Eleanor. I mean, I'd like to say $25, like the high end. But your eyes don't work, and you <laughs> shove those claws. Shut up! <laughs> yeah, but I do yoga a lot, so... She does cancels, do yoga. It cancels each other out. She does do yoga. Um, I'd say like a buck or two. Like a buck or two? Yeah. Just a couple dollars. Even though five was the minimum, you think that a buck or two for your body? Yeah, yeah why not? <laughs> Love yourself! Some eyes guy. So, before all these... Four dollars. $400. Sure. <laughs> sure. By the turn of the 19th century, it became commonplace for friends and family to sit by a grave for up to four days to stop people, like, to wait for it to start to putrefy, to stop people taking it. Because you couldn't start cutting it once it had already putrefied. So, like, grave robbers only had, like, a three to four day window. So family members would be, like, positioned up by by the graves to, like, make sure that no one took them. Mm. It's actually sweet. Actually, what's, uh, the only reason why we have people who tend cemeteries is, like, that's a long-standing tradition of, like, making sure that no one steals bodies. And the United States Patent Office recorded dozens of ingenious inventions to protect graves, like guns, alarms, and even, like, a torpedo that would... Uh, like, if you tried to open the grave, it would just, like, shoot, shoot you in the face. Oh, yeah, yeah. There are all these inventions that came up, like, at the time of, like, if you, like, booby-trapping a coffin, basically. Mm. Not, like, a screenplay <laughs> idea, but I think a very good video game idea is in there. Ooh, that oh, that is true. Mm-hmm. Or, like, a deal or no deal. <laughs> As you alluded to earlier, Chelsea. Sure. And it makes sense because it was such a profitable career Mm. that soon grave robbing just turned to murdering. Couldn't prove that it had been in the ground. If it yeah, came out of a coffin. And it was so, so There are so many amazing stories. And again, it's its own topic in its own right of groups of people who were famous grave robbers, who were famous resurrectionists. I, I just, I got so in the weeds, but I'm going to reference the most famous, probably, which you might have heard of, William Burke and William Hare. So during 1827 and 1828, Burke and Hare brought a new dimension to the trade of selling corpses to the doctors by murdering rather than grave robbing and supplying their victims fresh corpses for medical dissection. Smart. So these guys cropped up in Edinburgh, Scotland in 1828. They killed 16 people over the course of 10 months to sell their bodies off to a local anatomist and lecturer, this guy Robert Knox, who seemed to have known better than to ask questions. (laughs) He was like, yeah, this sounds great. Another one? Great. But I want to tell you what happened to William Burke. Okay. He was hanged. Sure. 
And just literally out of spite, his corpse was dissected at the Royal Hall of Surgeons. Good. Before 30,000 viewers. <gasps> how do you, how does that, what are the logistics on that? It says just before as many <laughs> as 30,000 viewers, they made a death mask out of his head. And this is really fucked up. The surgeon who did this made a pocketbook out of his skin. Oh. Yeah, he was real mad. He made an address book out of his skin. And those things have been on display in a series of Edinburgh museums for the last 190 years. The doctor was like, how dare you give me corpses I asked for so much? (laughs) Exactly. Oh, I'm so so mad. I'm mad at you. It's definitely not my fault. Oh, God, I'm cheesed about this one. Well, he was doing it for science, and they were doing it for money. So it's like yeah, that is different. Big difference. So their activities and the bunch of copycat killers that did the same thing once they found out what was happening. Uh-huh. That resulted in the passage of the British Anatomy Act of 1832, um, which allowed unclaimed bodies, unclaimed bodies, and those donated by relatives to be used for the study of anatomy. So basically, licensed the whole thing, made it regulated, and that essentially ended the body snatching trade in the UK. It is a much longer and much more involved story in the USA because it varies, yeah. it completely varies state to state. As, as most things do. The riot started it in New York that we talked about in the beginning started that had the Anatomy Act of 1789 but it really goes up until like the late 19th century of all this oh, stuff wow. in America it is so varied and there it's all basically reactionary of people getting upset for the same thing or the same situation of murderers being like hang on I can make money doing this I'm going to leave you with this point that we're really still uncovering the extent of all this stuff uh-huh. Um, a 2006 dig at the Royal London Hospital at Whitechapel unearthed more than 250 skeletons that showed sign of <laughs> Further, a discovery of 1,200 bones from at least 15 people in the basement of a London home once lived in by Benjamin Franklin was attributed to such research. Great. So old Ben was getting in there chopping it up. Yeah. Whilst George is being drained of all his blood, <laughs> Ben's just chopping him up and figuring it out. So Founding fathers, ladies and gentlemen. Woof. That was rough. Yeah. Well, Eleanor. Mm-hmm. For that story. Ugh, spooky. Yeah. But you know I like spooky, so yeah. I'm gonna give you six points for all Thank that you. spook. And I'm gonna give you an extra two points because you taught me something about our founding father, George Washington, that I didn't know. And my first instinct was to take points away from you for that because like, it made me very angry that you would come into like my country <laughs> pretending about George Washington. But also, like, fuck George Washington, you know what I mean? So, like, it's right. Fine. So, eight points. Eight points. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you three points for morbidity thank you it was very morbid Mm -hmm. i do feel like we were very callous about the deaths of all these people and i like that okay great great sick yeah um i i like the the hustle of these grave robbers yeah i'm gonna give you uh five points for that thank you wow but I'm gonna take off two points mm. because I'm in my head imagining the terrible like rise and grind memes that these you know hustling sure, sure, sure. grave robbers <laughs> made for themselves. Yeah, and I don't like them. No. I think they're bad memes, and I did invent them myself. But like it's bad. right. Sorry. Well, that makes sense. Minus two points. Minus two points. So is that six? Six. Yes. Great. So at fourteen. You're fourteen. Fourteen. Great. I'm feeling oh, good. Yeah. Feel good about that.
I have two questions for you guys based off of Ellie's what topic. Yeah. One, have you ever dissected something? Nope. Yes. I want to say I dissected a frog in like eighth grade. But you don't remember? I want to say it happened. Okay. It happened. I dissected, this might surprise you to learn, I dissected a cat. Oh. When I was a senior. Not, like, for school. Yeah. Not, just, not just for fun. Not just for fun. Uh, I was in, like, an advanced anatomy course because I wanted to go into uh, pre-med. <laughs> it did not happen. But I, yeah, we I took an anatomy course and we had to dissect cats, apparently. Like, that's common because they get them all from the... From the as long as we're like continuing like this like theme of just terrible stories from our youth yeah so the cats were obviously like you know uh embalmed or whatever like filled with like like a preserving fluid yeah and they came in these kind of cat-sized clear plastic bags like really thick Mm. bags that you would then tie with like a, a rubber band and we Dissected them throughout the entire semester, hmm. so they just like sat on a shelf in like their bags. Oh, and like then you'd go pick them up every oh, day. Oh, like county fair goldfish. Kinda, yeah. And you'd go pick them up every day and and go do them. And you we worked in pairs, and so you know after like a couple of weeks, like there's just like all this liquid in that bag. Uh, it's like the embalming fluid and like the bodily like visceral fluid, uh, uh, like intestinal fluid, like everything. Cat soup. Yeah, cat soup. And so one day my partner, who was like very squeamish about it, and I was like, you need to get your fucking shit together. He was like, we had to like, it was, it was a two person job to put the rubber band back on the bag. It was like really thick and big. So I was like, okay, you hold the bag and I'll put the rubber band on it. And he was like, you know, get the stuff on me. And I'm like, again, you get your shit together. And so he held it. And then I was like putting the rubber band on and then he like freaked out and I... It, like, jerked in a way, and the bag just sort of, like, flicked at me, oh, and it flicked the cat suit no. all over my face, and it got in my mouth, and I'll never forget how that tasted for the rest of my life. Well, what did it taste like? Extremely acidic, a little bit bitter, huh. um, oh. and then just with, like, the sort of, like, soupçon of, uh, like, flesh. Do you think that's why Mamba sees you as some kind of deity? Because he knows what I've seen and, <laughs> and what you've done. You've eaten the soup of the cat. Yeah, yeah that's why. He, like he, like, he can recognize something in me mm-hmm. that is him. Yeah, yeah, forever. It's nice cat soup. It's terrible, Connor. Anyway, uh, off of bodies about Wayne Brady. About Wayne Brady. Oh, let me yeah. crack a cloth. Okay. So let's delve into the Wayne Brady problem. Please, let's. I'm so intrigued. Okay, so uh, imagine yourselves in the audience of a game show. Yes. Okay. (laughs) All right. A minute. The game show is uh, Let's Make a Deal, Mm -hmm. which is currently hosted since 2009 by... Wayne Brady. Really? Still? Wait, so this is a real show. Oh. This is a real show, yeah. Let's and make it's a deal. not deal or no deal. It's not briefcase. It's not the briefcase show. Okay. No. I'm back on uh, board. Keep going. Yeah, no, this is like an old game show from like the 60s. Uh-huh. Okay. It was on TV for a long time, and then it got rebooted in 2009. Okay. And now reboot. Wayne Brady is the host. <laughs> Hell yeah. Phase. Yeah, 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 yeah. He loves to host. That's true. So I am going to need y'all... To either be a contestant or to pick one of you to be the contestant. I, I think Chess will do it. Okay, I can do it. I was like, I don't know if you've heard, but Ellie and I do a very convincing like conjoined twin. Yeah. But <laughs> would you like to be a conjoined contestant? 
Yeah, 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 we'll do it. We'll be contained. Okay, well, Chelsea and Ellie, come on down. Woo! It's both of us, and we're walking. <laughs> All right, and uh, one more thing. I need you to pick an animal that you do not respect. Oh, that I do not respect. Yeah. Chihuahua. Chihuahua? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're the rats of dogs. That's fair. The ones that can't even close their eyes because they're so fucked up. Oh, I hate those. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's Chihuahua. So it's like allowed to stand for the Chihuahua. Yeah. So okay. we're inbred Chihuahuas. Fuck it. All right. So you come down to the stage. Mm-hmm. Wayne Brady shows you three doors in a row, and they're marked one, two, and three. Okay. And he says, behind one of these doors is a brand new car. Hell yeah. But between two of the doors are uh, dumb little chihuahuas. You hate them. Little loathsome creatures. Oh, fuck it. I don't want that door. I don't want the car. I don't want, th- I want the one with the car yeah. in it. <laughs> so he says, uh, I want the car. without <laughs> anything to base this choice on, pick one of the doors. One, two, or three. I turn my head to your head and I say, which one do we think we want? Well, wait, just as a clarification, am I picking the door that I think the car is behind? We. Are we picking the door that we think the car is behind? Yeah, y'all are picking the car door. Or I that's the idea. That's okay. why I asked you to pick an animal you just do not like. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because yeah. we don't want those chihuahuas. No, we don't want either of those chihuahuas. Okay. We're going to have to deal with that eye problems. And they're like, there's three doors. Too small there's there's a 33% chance that we'll get the right door. I think I want to go with three. You want to go with three? Yeah. Let's do it. We're going to go with door three. Door number three? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Wayne Baby then tells you. That he is going to reveal one of the chihuahuas, which is behind one of the doors you did not pick. Okay. Okay. So let's say for the sake of argument, he opens up door number one. Okay. And there's a chihuahua there. Fuck that chihuahua. I hate it. Okay? Yeah. Now, here is where we get into the Wayne Brady problem. This is the important bit. Oh, God. I'm never more stressed. You have the option now of switching your door. No! Fuck. Okay. No, but we don't know. You chose door number three, but would you like instead to pick door number two now that you know that door number one had a chihuahua behind it? It technically it shouldn't sway us at all, right? Because we chose three. My instinct says not to change. I don't. I cannot at this moment think of a mathematical reason. Like when there were, and this might not be the right way of thinking, but like. When there were three doors, we had a 33% chance, roughly, of picking the right door. Now one of the doors is out of the running. Now we have a 50% chance, but that might not... Oh. But do we, though? Because I don't know. I never took statistics. A, we already had a 33% chance. Oh. I don't know. I don't know. I just think we shouldn't change. Yeah, I want to stay at three, please. Can I stay three. at three? So, yes, please, Wayne. Okay. Well, y'all are already kind of catching on yes! to what the thing is about. Yeah, I'm here to convince you that you are supposed to switch doors. Uh, what? Yeah. Okay, why? Well, so let me get into some other backstory first. Okay, cool. Okay. okay. So uh, classically, this is referred to oh as God, the so smart. Monty Hall problem. This is like kind of a like math problem that's been around in like a bunch of different forms for a long time. Okay. But kind of became like popular in the U.S. in 1990 uh, when it was featured in a like an advice column. Uh, written by a woman named Marilyn Vassavant. That is a very advice column name. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just called Ask Marilyn. But she was famous for being the person with the highest IQ in the world, according to the Guinness Book of World Records. So she had an advice column where people just like ask her questions. And, you know, mm-hmm. some of them would be like somebody sent in the Monty Hall problem to her. Okay. Uh, and it kind of like existed before that. But this is where it kind of 
you know, pierced into like broader cultural consciousness. Okay. And okay. people flipped their shit. <gasps> uh, okay. Y'all did not, but a lot of people, you know, had kind of ran into the thing where it's like, well, there's two doors left, so it should be a 50-50 chance, right? Right, yeah. Like, that's kind of the intuitive, like, understanding. If there's two doors and I don't know anything about right. them, and one has the thing and one doesn't, it should be, like... Roughly 50-50. Yeah. 50-50. Okay. Uh, and she said, no. In fact, you should switch your door. Okay. And she insisted that this was, like, mathematically provable. Okay. Wait, the smart advice lady. The smart lady, yeah. Marilyn Voss. And then people Salat. freaked out? People freaked out. She got hundreds of, like, angry letters oh, from what? readers. Including people with, like, PhDs. And actually, I want to read one right now. Oh, hell yeah. Right. I love when smart people get mad at each other. Okay. Uh, you blew it, and you blew it big. <laughs> Since you seem to have difficulty grasping the basic principle at work here, I'll explain. <laughs> this, this reads so much like a Reddit post. Oh, it's like, 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 this is an amazing yeah. Uh, after the host reveals a goat, originally the disdainful animal was a goat. I see. But I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't want to... See, yeah. that's what I didn't want to run into. Yeah. yeah. That was smart. You thought ahead. Uh, after the host reveals a goat, you now have a one in two chance of being correct. Whether you change your selection or not, the odds are the same. There is enough mathematical illiteracy in this country, and we don't need the world's highest IQ propagating more. Shame! Uh, this is from Scott Smith, PhD, University of Florida. What year? Shame. Nineteen ninety. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, of the uh, the Kevin Sorbo that's outtake so... from Hercules. Have you oh. ever seen that? No, I don't know the context for it, but it's just him like <laughs> fucking up like a line read, and I think maybe it was supposed to just be giving him directions. They're supposed to look disappointed. Uh-huh. But he's like lying on the ground. And he sort of like looks up and he goes, "Disappointed." I have seen that. Yeah. Disappointed. So good. Oh my god. Okay. Some people were so buttered about People were very mad, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, it is correct that it is mathematically uh, in your favor if you want the car to switch doors. Why? Please explain. Uh, well, okay, let's do it one more time. So okay. let's okay. imagine. Okay, Oof. okay. Okay, Wayne Grady brings you to a second stage. Hi, Wayne. And there's. 100 doors. Oh my god. Alright. Hi, Wayne. Behind one of the doors is the car, and okay. behind 99 of them are chihuahuas. Oh, it would be so loud. Okay. Yeah. God, I hate them so much. So just, but, like, all their eyes are so crusty. So please, for the sake of example, pick <laughs> one of these doors. 72. Door 72, is that okay with you, Chelsea? I'll allow it. Okay, so 72. So then Wayne Brady says, I'm gonna show you... He's like, I'll be right back. And he walks <laughs> a mile. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to show you 98 doors with chihuahuas behind them that you didn't pick. Okay? Okay. Okay. So now... Well, that would take so long. It would, yeah. There's 98 open doors with chihuahuas behind them. And 17 ad breaks. Yeah. Uh, Door number 72 is still closed, and door number, I don't know, 35. Okay. All right. Now, do you want to stick with your original door, or do you want to switch? Why would it make a difference? Wait. Here's the thing. If you pick the wrong door, you pick the wrong door, right? Yes. It doesn't matter how many doors there are. Yes. So I guess maybe where my disconnect is is that I feel like Wayne Brady offering you the chance to change mm-hmm. is like him basically offering you an entirely new mathematical problem. Like originally you had a 1% chance and now you have a 50% chance because it was 1 in 100, now it's 1 in 2. Well, that's... That's exactly what's counterintuitive about it. Okay. It is not a new math problem. Okay. 
because you have to because him showing you these new like oh this new information yes does not retroactively change the probability of your first pick right so in okay. the hundred door scenario you had a one in hundred chance of getting the car right yeah it's like very unlikely one in hundred chance you always do then he just showed you ninety eight chihuahuas okay so you. So you're mad. Just off the bat, you're angry about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're just angry that there's so many chihuahuas. Yeah, God, and they're just shitting. They didn't feed them beforehand. You can yeah, tell they're, they're like really acting out. Looking at you. They're that kind where they like always growl at you. You didn't even fucking do anything. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, if you had a one in one hundred chance the first time, mm-hmm. and now there's ninety-eight doors that have been eliminated. Yeah. Yes. Don't you think maybe it's actually more likely that in this last door? Has the car? Oh, yes. Okay, so say there's the 100 doors, and say it was behind door 35. Mm-hmm. And I said, we said it was behind door 72. Yeah. Wayne Brady now has to show us 98 doors that don't have it. Yeah. So he has to pick, by definition, the one other door that has the car. Does that make sense? Yes. Unless you picked it the first time. Unless which is you very ju- unlikely. Which is very unlikely. But but it's more likely if there are three doors. That's true too. Counterpoint. Counterpoint. That's true. If there are just mm-hmm. three doors and it's like pick one that has a car, that yes. to me, if it's like now there's one other door, it's equally likely. Sure, that that is true. But you are still better off in either scenario switching your door. Whoa. So your decision doesn't change, but you are likely in the hundred. You are better off in the hundred door scenario. You're, yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah. Fuck. I hate that. I know. It's like a fucked up little like brain like tickler. But you could be it's a mm, little goblin. Connor, I want to straight up say that you made math fun, and I don't think anyone has done that in my life Aww. previously. So I'm going to give you nine points. Oh, oh my god. Straight up. Um, and one more point because I I do like whose line is it anyway, and it reminded me of that. Um, but minus two points for melting my brain. So yeah. Eight. Also, but isn't that the point of the podcast? Well, it's my podcast. So, <laughs> That's true. Well, I, I gotta say, I was a little disappointed. No one just said like what. Oh, I know what? I did at one point. Oh, I did you? Did. Yeah. Uh, okay. What? Yeah. So eight. It's a solid That's eight. That's a solid eight. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, I was Oh my God. Um. Well, you brought a powerful woman with a powerful brain, mm-hmm. so that's two points. I do like that, yeah. You brought a, a man that was angry at her, <laughs> so that's another two uh, points, because that was really fun. Was, it was some real you blew it, right? You blew it big. <laughs> shame. Shame. <laughs> you blew it, you blew it big very strong. Um, Just the idea of him delicately petting that, and yeah. then like, sending it in, is good. It is good. And then you, like I said, you you filled me with nerd adrenaline because I finally understand the Monty Hall problem. Um, so it's like a real Mr. Holland's opus moment for you, where he's like, "God, I, I reached her. I just did it. I just, mm-hmm. I made those girls learn they said math. Be done. <laughs> they like, said girls would never understand they math. Said that one conjoined girl would never. Learn <laughs> <that>. <laughs> and I did it. So I'm gonna give you six points for that. Wrong. A strong seven. Thank you. It's a strong debut, Connor. <sighs> Dude, can you bring us home? I can sure as fuck try. I want you to know that I chose this topic in part uh, because you're a hometown boy. 
Mm-hmm. And it has a lot to do with Texas. Oh, okay. Uh, so enjoy that. It's, uh, December 23rd, 1991. It's almost Christmas. Oh, I'm six months old. Oh, and you, yeah, you guys are just little babies. Uh, one of you is a bigger baby than the other. A house fire rages in Corsicana, Texas. Oh, no. Yes. Uh, outside stands uh, Todd Cameron Willingham. He is 23 years old. He is screaming for his three children who are still inside the house as the fire rages. Witnesses who came to try to help but then quickly realized that there was just no way to get in the house reported hearing him say, my babies are burning up, screaming, thrashing, pulling his hair out. Uh, Inside the house are his twin one-year-old daughters, Carmen and Cameron, uh, and his two-year-old stepdaughter, Amber. He tried several times, witnesses report, through windows and other doors to try to get back inside the house. Every time he did, he was met with literally like an impenetrable wall of fire. He bowled through all the first responders to the point where they had to wrestle him to the ground and handcuff him to prevent him from getting to these children and trying to get back inside this house. And in 1991, unfortunately... All three of Todd Cameron Williams' daughters died in that house fire. In February 2004, he was executed by the state of Texas for their murder. Whoa! Whoa! What? Yes. So this is a pretty famous case in in Texas law. After the smoke had cleared, Willingham... uh, allowed investigators into his home there was he was never you know kind of cagey about any of that stuff the lead investigator douglas fogg uh, he was a vietnam vet and then he was a firefighter then he became an arson investigator he had been battling fire or what he called the beast for okay. more than for more than 20 years <laughs> he was quoted as saying you learn that fire talks to you he was joined soon by the state investigator manuel vasquez Vasquez had investigated more than 1,200 fires. He said that his favorite movie was Backdraft, which was this 1991... You guys wouldn't know about because you were babies. Uh, it was a 1991 Actually, movie. Uh, I went to the Backdraft attraction at uh, Universal real? Studios uh-huh. theme park. Sure. Is this real? Yeah, it's real. Okay. If you haven't seen this movie, Ellie, it's fucking bonkers. It is about how fire is like a living, breathing thing. Ah. And they're just like, yeah, fire will come for you. Fire's got a mind. A quote from the movie Backdraft is... Uh, of fire, it breathes, it eats, and it hates. The only way to beat it is to think like it. Vasquez himself would say things like, fire does not destroy evidence, it creates it. The fire tells the story, I'm just the interpreter. Now, okay. if, you, if you're thinking to yourself, okay. this doesn't really sound much like scientific evidence, it, that's because it's not. Uh, no. So in the early 90s, most of fire science, and like to be re- like real and to be clear, and this could be its own what topic, I won't get that into it, fire science is real. Fire is a chemical reaction. Yeah. There are certain ways that it works and doesn't work. For example, fire needs oxygen. If you're in a place without oxygen, you can't have fire. That's fire science. Uh, <laughs> Fire talks to you and tells you, a, and tells you a story is not fire science. No. Uh, the year after Todd Cameron William was convicted of the murders of his children and sentenced to death by the state, the Texas Board of Arson Investigators completely, they threw out the book on arson science and said everything that we had in there was bunk science and based on... Um, I don't know, gut feelings. Right. And uh, we're starting over. Uh, but they Whoa. would not They would not overturn 
uh, Mr. Williams' conviction. Well, did I'm wondering, did Fire ever sue? No, Fire a, decided to stay. Big Fire sued. Yeah, yeah, a lot of slander fire, against Fire. It sounds like Fire suspiciously mum through this whole experience. <laughs> interesting, interesting. So nearly every piece of evidence provided by the arson investigators in Mr. Williams' case were later disproven outside of court. Uh, one was by an independent counsel appointed by the Innocence Project, which took on his case. Okay. Uh, if you know anything about the Innocence Project, you know they're actually incredibly picky about the cases that they take yeah. on because almost everybody asks for their help. In addition to the Innocence Project, because you could argue that maybe they have a bias since they look for cases to overturn, three nonpartisan, three unrelated nonpartisan expert reviews reviewed Williams' case and found the same thing, which is that this was bunk science wow. that was not real, uh, including a commission financed by the city of Baltimore just to be like, hey, we want to make sure this never happens in our city because like, what happened in Texas is fucking embarrassing. So they did their own independent study that they paid for just about his case. And they were like, oh, this is, this is not real. You should, you should release this man. And then Rick Perry was like, no, nah, I'm going to kill him. And he did. Wow. Uh, really, the, the bulk of the physical evidence in the case came from these two arson investigators who were presented by the prosecution as expert witnesses. To which I would ask you, what do you think makes an expert witness? Um, someone who is extensively qualified in the field. What does that mean? So like someone with like maybe like an advanced degree, somebody with I was going to say, I would like them to have a piece of paper with their name on it. Uh-huh. Like a piece of paper with their name on it and then also maybe the name of the thing that they're talking about. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, that's like, helpful. Yeah, like from, that. some, from anyone, right? Yeah. yeah but, from at least... pre- but preferably from like a, like a, a an institution. Oh, I like that too. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so three things at least. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you guys, yeah, I mean, that sounds reasonable. So here's what the federal rule of evidence says. This is what dictates who gets to be an expert witness in a court of law. Okay. Expert witnesses must have knowledge, skill, experience, training, or education, which will help the trier of fact to understand the evidence. Wow. So So it's extremely vague. Yeah. So like pretty much anybody. So I could be like, hey, I've been to like probably over 200 yoga classes. Though I'm not trained in anatomy, I could be an expert witness of why that girl broke her back in a yoga class. 100%. So to the point where if you Google, as I did, because I was researching for this podcast, if you Google how to become an expert witness, you know how Google shows you like a box that's like from like the top hit, like a little bit of information. Mm -hmm. When you Google it, the first thing that comes up is how to start a lucrative expert witness practice. Because the other thing you should know (laughs) is that expert witnesses are all paid. Oh! Yes, they're all paid. Okay. Uh, so that's so these, are like pro- these are professional oh. expert witnesses. Yes. So anybody oh, can no. just become an expert witness, basically. And you, yes, Ellie, you could say, I am now offering my services as an expert witness in uh, the human mechanics due to my extensive experience working out. And this what? Yes. Expert witnesses on average earn between two hundred and fifty and four hundred dollars per hour oh, for their time shit. assisting lawyers. That's so that's not just time on the stand, that's time preparing for cases as well. So you guys oh. see pretty clearly where the problem lies, right? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that is that these people are being paid huge amounts of money by lawyers who need somebody to say a specific thing. And this is not just a problem with pr- prosecutors. Obviously, the case of Cameron Todd Willingham is really sad, and it's a great example of prosecutorial kind of 
overstretching misconduct that led to possibly almost certainly the death of an innocent man. But defense attorneys are definitely not blameless in this. Defense attorney could hire almost anyone to say almost anything. And that's really scary because uh, juries, a jury of your peers is meant to be a group of people who rely on the evidence and the testimony Mm -hmm. to decide if someone is innocent or guilty. Right. Uh, Holy shit. So yeah, it's pretty rough. There's an incredible uh, documentary film that was made by uh, former professors at UT. Uh, I believe it's called Incendiary about this case and about the fire science. And again, I want to like, I want to emphasize because I don't want to be, I don't want to, I don't want to misconstrue. Right. All of this was thrown out in like 1992. Current arson investigators in the state of Texas do not use the tools and the strategies that these men used. (laughs) This was, this was, this was thrown out like almost right after this case. That man was still murdered. But that man was still, because uh, when Rick Perry was asked about possibly giving him like an, a habeas corpus, he was like, no. Also, I'd love to remind everybody that Rick Perry was once applauded on stage when he said that he had, uh, the state of Texas had executed more people than all the other states combined. Oh, yeah. Got a round of applause for and that. And he went, thank you. So that's yeah. where we're at. Yeah, so that's where we're at with Rick Perry. Cool guy. But yeah, he stops on a pair of glasses. Everybody thinks he's real fun. Anyway, <laughs> um, so that's one case. Another one that I think is a really good example is there's, you guys ever heard of a man named Tom Bevel? No. But you guys do know about blood spatter evidence, right? Uh, you heard that term? Yes, yes, yes. I've seen a couple episodes like, of Dexter. Oh. Yes, okay. To so bring it back seen, to Dexter. Oh, yes. So uh, the pattern on the wall tells me that he was shot from the front. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I see this pattern on the wall, and therefore I can reconstruct where you were standing, what weapon you used, what angle it came out of. It's OBS. One guy came up with all that stuff <laughs> in his spare time, and his oh, name was Tom no. Bevel. Uh, yes. Tom uh, Bevel was a, was a member of law enforcement, uh, he spent three decades in Oklahoma City Police, and he developed, by his own definition, an interest in blood spatter. Ooh. So most of his expert testimony comes from experiments that he kind of reconstructed in his garage. What? And was like, <laughs> he says, you know, like, grapefruit. Yeah. What about this? Corn syrup. He almost always testifies for the prosecution. Great. <laughs> yeah, this kind of looks like when I shot that watermelon in my garage. Well, so... And he never phrases it that way somehow. Well, can I ask? If, yeah. So, like, if you do, like, shoot someone, to a certain degree, it you'd think the blood would come out... Yes. ...with the, the direction the bullet's going, right? Uh, Is yeah, that I mean, not I, true? I mean, again, I don't want to misconstrue this. For example, the thing with Mr. Williams' case... It is true that we all know this heat rises, right? Heat yeah. rises. Typically, that means heat from fire rises. So it is atypical to find a fire where most of the heat seems to be uh, centered around the bottom. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that there are a ton of different scientific reasons why that might happen right. besides an accelerant. Okay. Right? So when you go straight to an accelerant, it's because you are leaning too heavily on anecdotal evidence and not looking at all of the facts. Mm. Yeah. The problem... So what you're saying is also true. There are some things about blood spatter that are just common sense. Yeah. But the difference is that almost anybody could tell you that. Right. The thing... like That's how you can uh, distinguish common sense from expert witness testimony is that common sense is something that almost anybody could figure out, which is like, for example... Uh, okay, a really great example that almost anybody could testify to is venous blood versus arterial blood. One so is blue, one is red. 
Well, that's because of oxidation. So when they come out, both of them are. Oh, so they're like. Yes. Spurty, so spurty, spurty. Arterial blood that's spurts. That's arteries because uh-huh. yeah. And then the venous is tricky, tricky. Yeah. Venous blood seeps and arterial blood sprays and spurts okay. with your heartbeat. So that, so for example, if you see a spray and not a pour, that's probably an artery. But that's okay. something that, again, just because like, just like we just did, none of us are experts, but we all kind of put that together. The pump uh-huh. makes it spurt. Things like, okay, it's shaped like a teardrop, which means that it comes from this type of velocity. That's from somebody's limited anecdotal experience in their garage and not a body of scientific evidence. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we've heard this and we're like, fuck. What if, if, if your mind goes where my mind goes, which is, what about the day that I'm inevitably framed for murder? Probably by one of the two of you. Yeah. Probably for the murder of the other one. Well, we should pick one of us now. Oh, oh, how many people have been... How many people have been murdered on these charges through, like, oh. erroneous evidence? So that brings me to my first thing. Here are the things that you can do. One is you should support the Innocence Project and what they do. Yeah. Um, I will say the Innocence Project is still currently working to exonerate Mr. Willingham posthumously. His family has not given up the fight, including, I will point out, his ex-wife, who was the mother of those three girls, who has, even though they fought all the time and they separated, and she was like, I don't like him. I think he's mean as a dog. I know he did not murder those girls. She maintained that. Throughout the entire trial and throughout the uh, the life of the case. So they're still fighting for that. If that's something that you're interested in, that's something that they could use support for. But even if you're not, I encourage you to check out all the work that they do. It's really, really important. Yeah. We have to, we have to always work to keep our justice system working for us. Some other things that have been brought up as possible solutions to this problem of expert witness. One is that lawyers can more thoroughly vet the expert witnesses that they bring. That seems like the most simplest one, right? That there should be a sort of universal set of standards. Yeah. The problem is, is that lawyers have no incentive to adopt that. No. Because they why would you do they that when right. you could pay somebody to say the exact thing that you need them to say? Mm-hmm. So it would take a third party holding lawyers' feet to the fire to get them to right. adopt any sort of universal it set of rules. It would have to be like the judge or the presider over the case has to have some kind of say on who gets to be in their courtroom. The other one is that the industries themselves could set the standards. So somebody pointed out, like, uh, the most common type of expert witness is a medical expert witness, so like some sort of doctor. Right. It's the most common type by far. That when a doctor goes up and blatantly lies about how medicine works, it embarrasses all of them. It's it's bad for doctors, right? Right. It's bad for doctors to lie in any kind of public space. It erodes the public trust in doctors. Yeah. Uh, So you would think that doctors would want to get together and say, okay, no, we already have all these governing bodies that like license doctors and review cases. We are also going to issue licenses that says that you can qualify as a medical, as a professional witness. Okay. Um, They have not done that. I don't know why. But we should encourage them to do it. Yeah. All right. Uh, Because who knows? Maybe someday you might find yourself falsely... Or even rightly, because everybody everybody <laughs> deserves a fair trial, rightly accused of something. I do want to go to prison 
based on like good evidence something that you right. actually yeah. did yeah well like that's like i again like i don't want to get too inside baseball into like the things that i personally like advocate for but i will say a lot of times we get into a lot of conversations about how the system should work and we always frame it in a place of um well because what if like you were wrongfully convicted or what about all the people who were wrongfully convicted what about all these innocent people and that's very true but we should never forget the justice system also affords certain inalienable rights to everyone regardless of whether or not you committed a crime so we shouldn't only base our advocacy on who we think is innocent because even somebody who did commit a crime deserves a fair trial because that's what makes the justice system just yes. hell yeah dude Jesse I loved it so much oh my God. yeah it was great I am gonna give you just 8 points off the bat uh, I just thought it was great. I really liked it. I liked the social Aww. social justice aspect of it. Um, I think it was a really, I think it was a really great topic. Maybe that. I'm gonna minus one point for the seriously depressing beginning. That's fair. <laughs> All of it. It's that that uh, that case has haunted me. The death of three children and 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 then the, the following murder of their father. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's pretty rough. Um, but I'm going to give you a couple points back for the men who thought they could talk to fire because the men that's who talked to pretty fire. fun. So I think that's nine points in total for me. Well, I heard the men who talked to fire are uh, touring currently in like Russia and sort of... Oh, like yeah, they're, yeah, they're on tour with men at work. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. And the men who talked to fire. Uh-huh. Perfect. So how many... <laughs> what is that total? Uh, it was eight? It was eight. Yeah. yeah. Wait, okay. was it? No, it was nine. It was nine. Nine. Uh, well, how many points did I have? You had 17. Well, do you can't base it off that. Yeah. Oh, I can. <laughs> all right, all right. I will not do any math. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple points, either a bat, for social justice. Yeah. Thank uh, you. Very important. Uh, your story also had some hustlers in it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you five points for that. Um, nice, nice. And Ellie, I, this is not going to seem fair because it's not. Oh. <laughs> um, but I also imagined memes that like your hustlers would have made, and oh. I like them a lot better than the other memes. Oh, I oh. <laughs> okay. Oh, so you like those memes? Yeah. Cool. Well, I feel like inspirational, like motivational memes are terrible, and like crank science memes are great. Right. So that's just, but that's where have... I'm coming from. Yeah, well, okay. No, to, okay. To, to like, you know, kind of like mend this bridge. We can all agree that none of them are as good as hashtag boy mom memes, though, right? No. Sure. Well, that's kind of like a perfect intersection. Right. It's sort of the synthesis of like motivational sure. and crank science. Well, because you know scientifically it's different to be a boy mom. <laughs> yeah. It's tr- It's just yeah. different. It is just different. They can't explain it. Yeah. So how many points is that from you? Uh, that is two plus five plus seven. That's nine. <gasps> Eighteen. But I'm going to take off two points. <gasps> Because we never uh, found out how fire actually feels. Well, it, well that is you true. You did hear? No, you heard how fire. It, it only hates and it eats. Well, it eats and it hates. I see. That sounded like slander to me. I just wanted. I feel like the fire actually had some feelings. Some. The fire doesn't have any goddamn feelings, Connor. Well, it's a chemical reaction. Mm. Well. That means that Connor, you won tonight. Oh, on did I really? Yes, on behalf. I think you just. I think you did that math yourself. I'm just. Woo! saying. On behalf of the guest chat, recount. You mm. you take home 17 accumulative points. Holy um, guacamole! How do you feel? 
Uh, pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I like it. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to what you can find this podcast at WhatPod. That's W U T P O D on Twitter and Instagram. Um, we put some pretty fun stuff up there. Yeah, go check out all the cool stuff that Ellie pops up on the on the social media, including yeah. a current tally of where we're at with all like with team host, team guest, and team wild. Team guest. Yes. All right. Exactly. Slow your roll, buddy. Team guest did did do good tonight. You can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and at Ellie Maney on Twitter. One day I'll get that back. Uh, you can find me at Chelsea Harfouche wherever internets are sold. Uh, you can read my comics on Instagram uh, at cornershoe.comics. And you can find me on Twitter uh, just at cornershoe. And you definitely should check out those comics. It, they're, they're great. Uh, Connor's super funny and an amazing drawer. Oh, thank you. A great artiste. Um, So go check that out. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you could leave a review for this podcast on iTunes, that would be super helpful for us just to get the word out. Tell your friends about us. Uh, It would mean a huge amount. Research some watch topics for yourself. Send them in. We would love to read them. Love to know. Even just like a little tidbit. Like I'd love to have like a little snippet. Oh, did you know? A little fact. A little did you know to like to close things out? Yeah, send us some But until then, Ellie will tell you. Go learn something. Bye. Bye.